This episode is sponsored by Gorgeous. Gorgeous is the number one e-commerce help desk that lets you manage and respond to messages from your site, social, email, and SMS all in one platform. They have built-in automations to handle common queries like order tracking and save your team time and money. Get a free month by clicking the link in the description and elevate your customer experience today. You're listening to the Agency X Podcast. I'm your host, John Sertakowski, founder and CEO at Avex, a New York City-based e-commerce agency for high-growth D2C brands. As always, I'm joined by our e-commerce strategist, David Anzalone. Our goal is to provide some insight into e-commerce, technology, design, and everything in between. Let us know what you think of today's episode and make sure to visit our website, avexdesigns.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Agency X podcast. I'm David, e-commerce strategist at Avex, and today I am joined with one of our project managers, Michael Johnson. Hi, Michael. Or that is the wrong name. You're Michael Jossen. Michael Joson. <laughs> Joson. Um, Michael Joson, and I said that correctly the first time. Um, but thank you for having, or thank you for wanting to be on the podcast. We're starting to get more Avix employees on here, and it's always great to get, um, you know, you guys here because there's so many different perspectives and backgrounds that we all come from. So, a lot to really be learned here. How are you doing, Michael? <laughs> Sorry, I don't my thing muted there. Um, I'm good. Um, some project man, one of the project managers here at Avex. Um, I am the only one that's actually based out in LA, so I'm a little separate from everybody else in terms of time zones, at least. Um, but I'm heavily involved with really the project management side of things, kind of getting deadlines, uh, just kind of a consultant for some of the clients. And I actually come from a background in subscription services um, in the cannabis industry, because I'm out here uh, specifically in LA, which is not something you can do everywhere, but it's kind of an interesting experience, especially from the customer service point of view. It's a very unique clientele. Yeah, absolutely. And that segues perfectly into today's topic, which is talking about cancellations and returns as a subscription brand and any insights on how to deal with that and maintain that customer relationship. So, Michael, I guess if you first want to start, you know, what was the, for the company or brand that you worked for, what was your general cancellation uh, or return policy for your brand? And how did that differ from, you know, subscription customers versus one-time purchase customers? Um, so it's handled a little differently between the two. I will say most of the time, a store customer is also a subscriber and vice versa. But you obviously have people that choose one or the other to try first before they hop onto the additional service. So what I would say there is in terms of cancellations for subscriptions, you have to be very, very, very flexible um, I both from the perspective of canceling them and changing or pausing the plan halfway through or just any term during it. Ours was monthly and it was indefinite. However, you could buy a three, six, or at one point a 12 month package as well that discounted it just a little bit. The downsides of those for clients and customers was that it potentially couldn't be refunded the same way. Um, so what would happen there is let's say you had a 12 month a 12 month membership. And this is actually why these don't exist anymore with this company. You can only do a return on a credit card for six months at most on some credit cards. It's usually 90 days. So anything past that is not refundable in terms of cash, unless you go out of your way to write a check or send a Venmo or a PayPal, which is not typically best business practice. So what we would let customers know is when you sign up for a prepaid plan, you are agreeing to this much. Um, and if you do cancel somewhere throughout it, if you're unable to be refunded, you'll only be issued a store credit. 
uh, we did that so that they weren't completely left hanging and that did have some positive uh, ramifications on their cancellation process. I saw some of them come back. Generally, they understood that because if you made an Amazon purchase that long ago, they're not gonna be able to help you with cash either. Um, so fortunately, that's been set as an expectation. Um, in terms of the policy, I recommend for any subscription service, no more than two weeks of a return window. The reason for that being many subscription services have consumables in them. Those are likely going to be used before the package gets back to you, even if there's breakage or something on another item, and then you're out that much for whatever that item that is missing is. Uh, unless you want to go back to the customer and argue about what was in the box, which if you're trying to retain a subscriber is generally not the best way to go. Um, so that being said, we would default more or less to the customer is always right on the subscriber side of things because you are trying to maintain that relationship. On the store side of things, it was more of a standard approach. So you'd have your two weeks of um, return window the same way. Since we specialized in glassware for cannabis, breakage was the first and foremost biggest problem with anything about that. So what I would say is if your company has any type of breakable item, whether it be an electronic a piece of glass, something that could snap that's maybe just a piece of artwork, it has to be protected. Um, and the reason I say that too is because oftentimes we were unable to replace the item because in the subscription model, let's say you have 10,000 subscribers, you're gonna go through and buy 10,000, maybe 11,000 of the item in case there's breakage. However, that's not always enough and that's hard to plan for depending on the design of the item. Um, so really just coming at it from a perspective of keeping the customer happy on the subscriber things, being a standard approach on the store side of things, accepting returns, replacing broken items. And what I'd add there is never make a customer ship back broken glass or a broken item you have proof of. Um, so if they send a photo, which is what I always require, I'm not going to make you put a broken, a broken piece of glass or a broken iPod or whatever it is back in a box. That's not, that's not fair to the customer. So that is something that differed um, with other businesses in our industry is that you did not have to send back the item that was broken. Uh, it's a little, okay. but that makes a huge difference in terms of how the customer feels about you. No, I, I can totally see that of it not making sense if, to send back a broken item because <laughs> it's not like your your company, every category a little bit different, but it doesn't sound like your team would even be able to salvage that broken <laughs> item anyway. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> uh, so before we go on, mm -hmm. because don't think we addressed that, what was the, the name of the brand and the subscription product? Was it cannabis itself or was it cannabis accessories? Um, so I worked for a company called Daily High Club. They did everything but the flower. Um, that being said, they did have a CBD side of things where you could get that substance at least to use with it. And oftentimes that would be some kind of cannabis flower that's had the THC stripped out of it, making it legal to ship across the country. Um, the reason we did it that way is because when you have something like cannabis or controlled substances state by state, you have to use a courier. Um, so what's happening is I actually belong to one of those kind of subscription services. I have to pay them through their own website, through a custom payment processor because of that whole ordeal with the cannabis industry. And then they have to send out their own courier driver. That was often a request with the same service that we had. Um, so what I would say is if you have 10,000 subscribers, you need to make it clear that you're using a standard mail service because a lot of these subscriptions like the cannabis one set an expectation that someone's going to come to your house, hand it to you directly, say hello and sign off. And that's just simply not the case. <laughs> gotcha. 
So for cancellations and, uh, you know, or mo modifications, uh, returns, you know, what were the general reason that, um, or patterns in what you saw from your customers who uh, wanted to cancel their subscription? Mm -hmm. um, you know, what were some of the common reasons for that? Breakage actually played a large role in that. So, I mean, I, I do see their point. If I were a customer paying for three months at a company and two of the three items arrived broken, my confidence in that company would be eroded. Um, so that's what ended up happening with, I would say, the vast majorities. They felt like they either weren't getting what they asked for or it came in a bad condition. Um, and then in addition to that, and this is standard for any subscription service, is it's the people that didn't realize they're still on it. So you're going to get the people that come in and go, I was charged today. I can't pay for this. I need to cancel it and get a refund right away. Um, so the, the big thing there is timing. So setting expectations with your customers on when refunds can be issued, uh, when things can be canceled. Do not charge a fee when canceling on a subscription or have a minimum term because it simply will not maintain customers having tried that. Um, that was not a, good, not a good business model in terms of keeping customers confident in the company. And then lastly would be issues just with the items themselves and the quality. Um, I have two words in subscriptions that send chills down my spine and it is assorted colors. The reason I bring that up is I'm taking a picture on the website of a blue fill in the blank, let's say t-shirt. You get a red one because it says assorted colors available. That is a difficult conversation to resolve with a customer because in that case it does require, okay, maybe we have that in stock. If we do, I'm going to have to have you send back the original shirt, you pay the shipping, and then we're going to ship this back to you. And at that point, it was usually a, a no in the customer not wanting to go through that process. So being careful, choosing which items you use every month. Um, it could be if it's the similar color or different colors, I'm sorry, between items, they're not going to be happy. If it's a similar design as a month before, they're not going to be happy. Um, we reused one mold on glass, I would say a year and a half in between the two of them. It was a very large gap because creating molds is tens of thousands of dollars to do so. And we redid the entire outside of it, redid an attachment on it, and we lost hundreds, maybe thousands of subscribers because it looked similar to a month before. So that's another thing to bear in mind is the quality and diversity of the products has to continue. So it looked similar to uh, a design in a previous month, but it was but it was like a long span apart, but they still remembered. Yeah. Um, and then you had both people who, let's say, belonged at that time that were mad that they paid X dollars for it, and now it's back and they're being charged again, or people who would go on the site because we would sell the old excess pieces, if there were any, as a separate store item, could see the last one. And they could go through, and in this case, it was just a square juice box. And they went through and looked for the old one and showed a picture to me and go, this is the same thing. Even though the outside of it was different painting, it was this custom design, it's not enough. Um, so we lost a ton of consumers over that. I will not dive into losing people because of COVID. That is its own unique ordeal and beast, um, largely related to production issues overseas. So that is something separate. However, these issues I saw persisted the year before as well. And we're not just from the pandemic. Sure. And in that case, you know, um, could be the specific instance that you're referring to or in general, what's your take on uh, 
maintaining a positive interaction with someone who wants to cancel or return, uh, you know, a subscription product? Um, you know, do you find that there's ways of trying to keep them on the subscription or is the goal more to just retain them as a customer? And that's really the, that's really the, the goal in that situation. It's interesting you approach it that way because it was a debate on my way out there was whether we focus heavily on the subscription side of things to build a customer base or try and get all of them over to the store and potentially even end that service. So I see this being appealing for any subscription model in that the margins on the subscription box are almost negligible. It's getting them in the door. It's getting an idea of what you guys do. You might make a decent amount of money on it, but it's not what you're targeting. When you do the store orders, you're talking hundreds of percentages of profit just because it's a raw material like glass that can be marked up and appropriately and not overpriced for what they are. But because of the type of product and not having to put in a billion small items, it ended up being far more profitable. So from my point of view, I was the customer support manager overseeing about 10 people that were doing all of the customer support tickets, any of the emails, going through the social media platforms and such. And the way I approached it was I actually wrote macros for all of them. Not that I didn't trust what they were doing in terms of their decision making, but because I wanted consistency. Um, even in the verbiage we used, and that was absolutely necessary. When I came in, there was no macro any, for really anything that was consistent. And because of that, one person may get a return one month over one issue, and then their friend for the same issue doesn't get a return approved. It's dicey. Keeping in that consistent messaging is good. I tended to go through, and if it's a, let's say it's someone with a store order issue that happened to be a subscriber, you treat them a little more attentive and vice versa because you know they have more than one stream of revenue coming in. Um, it's pretty hard to convince somebody to keep a subscription once they've made up their mind, largely because it's around budgeting their monthly expenses. But what I would do is really just explain if it were from an issue that I'm handling it as the manager, we're gonna take care of you. I would say things like this next month's drop's gonna be awesome. Check it out before you pay to make sure that's what you'd like. Setting options like that rather than giving a free box or a credit was always the way we approached it. Um, I would give a free box occasionally if something were egregiously wrong. Uh, typically with the shipper that should have taken care of it, but because we wanted to maintain our base, we would. And one of them that comes to mind, and this will happen with more than one e-commerce service, is the mailman may deliver an empty box. Um, it happened four or five times in my time there where they tape it shut, it says this has been damaged and they deliver you an empty box. In that case, you're getting a new box and probably a little gift thrown in. Um, if it were from breakage, same kind of thing, you get, an, you get your replacement, but maybe I throw in a pack of rolling papers or something tiny. Those little additions sometimes kept people. So going through, and if you have extra inventory as a subscription service from the month before, whether it be a consumable item or something tiny like a keychain, throw it in there in with the replacement item. Your items are likely gonna just go to waste sitting in the warehouse. That will all, um, help you maintain customer base. I had people say they were going to leave. We send them a couple stickers and a lighter and their replacement item and they stay. So just kind of going out of your way to make them happy. It does not have to be a monetary incentive. It can just be showing that you are paying attention and care a little bit more than just a form. Here's a standard decision. You're getting just that item sent to you, goodbye. That is the, menta the mentality they're not looking for because coming from a customer base and subscription, they're expecting a relationship with you. Sure, and to put some reference to that for any other uh, for people who work for brands or brand owners are listening, what was the general, you know, who were your customers uh, demographic wise? 
um, it's interesting. It actually evolved. So initially, because mm. they started in 2015 when thing the cannabis was not legal um, in many states at all at that point, I think potentially any uh, for recreational. And at that point, they had a very limited base. Um, you're talking people who were, you know, using cannabis medically that maybe in a state that wasn't approved, but it's low, it's legal to send the supplies, if you will. Um, so really, it changed from a bunch of, if you will, stoners in college and some younger generation to what ended up being an elderly demographic. Um, it was a lot of elderly people in states like Oklahoma that recently went recreational or medical and they simply don't know where to start. So what would happen is they would come to us because we provided a whole box that had all the supplies you would need. I ended up talking to a lot of 80 year old women towards the end of my tenure there. <laughs> so it's, and I, you approach the two the same. It's just kind of going out and making sure they're happy. I answered more questions on how to use things for the elderly demographic. So I had them add a knowledge base to the website to do that. And really at that point, the tickets stopped coming in quite as much. If you make an FAQ prevalent on the website and the demographic will tend to dive into there. Um, but it was really interesting to see that shift um, really back and forth. And that's, I would say it's 100% due to the legality of it spreading. And at that point, you have your customer base following alongside. Um, that same mentality applies to a lot of products, not necessarily ones that are just illegal, but ones that are crossing state lines and becoming more popular as well. Sure. But the interesting thing is that the strategy stayed the same of how to approach uh, customer service or customer experience. The age, it didn't really change with it. It sounds like at most you were, you had to answer different or more questions than you used to, but overall it was the same mind, mindset or mentality for how to deal with a frustrated customer. Yeah. And the one thing I'd add there too, that was interesting is that the expectations of shipping differed between the two demographics. I think that's due to the fact that the younger demographic is using a lot of Amazon and expecting same day, next day, two day delivery. And when you're using first class mail with the US Postal Service, that's kind of what that older demographic is expecting. And they're not usually quite as upset about shipping time because they are expecting it to take three to five days or longer. Interesting. Uh, you know, it's funny. I would think it'd be the opposite uh, <laughs> just, just because of the, I guess the puristic that older generations are, harder to deal with from a customer service perspective. That's just simply, uh, I'd say the pattern or stereotype, but that's interesting that the younger groups had a, had, had more of an expectation that something should be shipped faster, which absolutely, uh, it's more of, more of an opinion piece. There's no right or wrong answer. Sometimes things just take time to ship. Yeah. And then going through things like holiday season, that's another point I would make in terms of customer service and subscriptions is that's your crunch time. Uh, people buy them as gifts, and that's the biggest problem. So what we did one year was promise that if you purchased by the first week in December, be there by Christmas. It didn't happen. Um, not our fault. It was largely due to the mail service and all the issues with that. The following year, we made an announcement that it's not guaranteed at any date. It just said, make your purchase. We cannot guarantee Christmas delivery. We're experiencing delays. It may be longer than normal. And the sales actually increased. They did not drop off from the year before. And that was because you set an expectation. Um, and I had far fewer support tickets come in that year because they knew that there was going to be delays. So communicating all that ahead of time will absolutely help. For sure. And I think there's a lot of great takeaways here overall about, um, you know, managing that return side for customers uh, on subscriptions. And that's for the first thing. It sounds like you have to be consistent to a point where you do have to treat people 
equally because it's possible for people to be like, well, you know, this other person I know who bought from you was able to do this, but I'm not mm -hmm. able to do that now. But that only goes so far because there are times when if you're dealing with a customer who has bought with you guys a lot, I'm sure it makes mm -hmm. sense to be more lenient in that instance. So it's more of a, it's more of a situational judgment call of what's the best thing to do there. Right. Right. That's completely correct. Um, you have that standard base you're working off of, but you'll have very specific customers occasionally that need some additional attention. Yeah. Then the next thing is really setting very clear expectations and making information available. A lot of what you mentioned was um, solving problems through information prior to them you know, going through with the subscriptions so that nothing was a surprise to them, which I think makes sense for almost any situation you're dealing with is that the more information you're able to give them to be more informed, the less likely they'll be to be, to be unhappy also to reach out to your customer support team. So I think that's true even in this case. Absolutely. And that contact was crucial. Even if you're doing something as simple like on Instagram of liking someone's post and then sending them a little message asking what's wrong, huge impact on the way you're seen. And that's becoming, that's a, that's a shift is uh, most of the support tickets when I started in 2019 were email. By the end, you're looking at 75% social media. So having someone yeah, to cover no. that specifically is very important now, especially in subscriptions. For sure. And then the last two on the customer end is they have to feel needed and you really can't punish customers for things that aren't truly their fault. And even when it is, uh, if you want to retain that customer, you still can't punish them. Like you mentioned before about not charging fees for canceling subscriptions mm. or even charging them to return an item that's broken and made of glass. Again, no person wants to have to deal with the hassle of returning an item that's broken. And if you guys don't get any value from getting that returned item, um, you know, like jewelry, for example, if someone bought like a $10,000 piece of jewelry and it, and it arrived with a broken clasp you would have to return that because that's a very expensive item but if it's an if it's a relatively inexpensive or or if it's an item that you absolutely can't uh you know use in any way if it, if it arrives broken then it doesn't make sense to do that but at the same time making them feel needed and i love that point of doing just the little things to keep them either subscribed or just keeping them as a customer where it be a, you know a keychain a handwritten note some stickers um these seem like really small simple things but it's a great way of uh, addressing complex and sometimes really tricky problems Absolutely. It's the small little things that show that you took more than 30 seconds to take care of their issue that make a huge difference because they are used to that with other companies. It's a, you know, it's a love hate thing where they'll, they love the shipping with Amazon, but they may have issues with customer service or feeling personalized. And that's what we come in. And I would say the last thing from me, and then we can call from here is what were some ways that, I know you mentioned the macro, so maybe there's other things with it too, that you were able to streamline or automate, uh, you know, that return exchange process internally? Yeah, um, it's interesting that you mentioned that because towards, I want to say the last six months, we implemented a program called Route. Um, so something similar, there's lots of options like this where they take care of the shipping damage or lost items on their side. So what's going on is you charge an extra fee to the customer. I mean, we're talking like a dollar. It's not anything um, really significant. And it gives the customer peace of mind that it, if, if, if it arrives broken, slightly damaged, missing, they can go to Route through a portal, file a claim for it. Route goes to us and places an actual order 
And then that went through to the customer as a new shipment. So going through and having potentially a third party helping you with that, the, what that helped me with was I was pulling my staff before to physically pack, pack boxes and go through, um, go through steps like that. It's just simply inefficient. So what would happen is it'd come in as a shipment from the store. It goes to my warehouse team. We'd tag it that it's customer service just as a little heads up and throw in some extra items. So apps, apps are going to help for sure. Awesome. Yeah, no, I'm very familiar with Route. They're actually a partner of ours here at, at FX. Uh, did you have to go through any specific vetting process? Because I know their they, their uh, route can be particular mm -hmm. uh, about your uh, return rate, especially when it's on your side from broken items. Mm -hmm. um, was that ever a point of contention when signing up for Route, or did they work with you guys, or were they made aware of you know the general nature of your product? Um, they were very aware of what we did. Um, it was pretty evident when you go on that 90% of the items were glass, and they actually approached us. So we were able to take that route, ironically, route with them um, <laughs> yeah, in yeah. terms of discovering what that would look like. The one issue we ran into is if you run out of stock of an item. If you run out of stock of an item, they obviously can't replace it. And at that point, you are looking potentially at a refund, uh, which does shift a little bit in how the customer sees you. So you can set route per item. Um, we did at least knowing on items that were constantly getting replenished, but let's say it's a limited run item. I wouldn't apply it to that because you may end up in a position where you've promised a return or a replacement that you can't issue. Interesting. Yeah, I guess that's a good point. Uh, so the customer can't buy something that doesn't uh, technically exist in your inventory. Correct. Or it's something that we did a 30 day run on and we'll come back. Awesome. Well, Michael, thank you so much for being on the show. Apologize for botching your name <laughs> in the beginning. Uh, um, and I've had like two people ever get it right the first try. So don't worry. It happens all the time. <laughs> <laughs> and thanks everyone from listening and tuning in. And if you like this, make sure to leave us a review on whatever platform you're listening to it on. If it does offer reviews and thank you for listening. Bye. Thanks very much. <laughs>